Coming up on Chasing the Natty, spring practices, scrimmages, and games galore, what do we do with all this information? In addition, we're going to discuss some players with some hybrid positions and roles in their offenses that make them a little difficult for us to gauge what to do with them in college fantasy. To help us all with this, we're bringing on our first guest of the month in Nicholas Ian Allen from CFB Winning Edge. All this and more coming right after this. Junior touchdown! Marvelous Mark! Ball next to the outside, dropped down for Franklin! A majestic touchdown! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. I am back. Really, really appreciate Nate and Mox for taking on the show last week. A uh, huge favor of them on, on my end because, again, I have been working and dealing with my thesis all week. Good Lord, if anybody, if I ever have to write a, a 400 plus word, doc, 400 plus word, good Lord, 400 plus page document ever again in my life, please slap me and tell me to get into a different line of work. Again, really appreciate you guys tuning in. If you want to support what we're doing over here for College Fantasy, make sure you go over and subscribe to campusagain.com where we have all of your written tools and everything you need for your CFF, C2C, and Devi Fantasy needs. Got a ton of stuff coming your way. Be sure to be tuned into all of that over there. We got a lot of stuff. And if you want to support us even further, make sure you follow myself on Twitter at CFF underscore Jared. You can also follow the show's Twitter at Chasing the Natty. And make sure you comment, like, and subscribe on this YouTube channel. We do have a goal of hitting 1,000 subscribers by the start of the season. We are still a little ways away from there. So I need y'all to start reaching out to your friends and telling them to come over here and subscribe. And if you're listening to this on podcast, make sure you go over there and follow us wherever you are listening. And make sure you leave those five-star reviews on whatever platform you are listening to. With all that out of the way, we're getting the spiel out of the way early today, guys, because we got a ton of great stuff to get to. And to help us all with that, we have the wonderful wonderful creator of the CFB Winning Edge page, Mr. Nicholas Ian Allen, coming on to help us today. Nick, how are you doing today, sir? Doing great, Jared. Thanks for having me on. I would say, I think this is your first time on the actual show of CTN because you came on last year for one of our live mock drafts, which we'll be doing again this year. Um, but yeah, I think this is actually your first time on here. So again, we got a lot of great stuff, um, spring practices, stuff like that. Nick, we talked a couple weeks ago about like research strategies, like how to keep up with all the news and everything for like college fantasy and everything. But your um, your spreadsheets and everything are really like the gold mine of just keeping updated with all the different information you could possibly do. Roster movements, who's going to the NFL, who's staying, who's transferring, who's doing what. How do you kind of keep up with all of it? Uh, a lot of Google alerts, a lot of emails to myself. Um, I, you know, you just kind of have to accept that you you won't be able to catch 
everything, but try to pay as much attention as, as you can and, and uh, make notes, write everything down. And, and yeah, I've, you mentioned I've built some Google sheets. I have some just ridiculously, uh, some might say obscene, uh, just Google sheets is, is, you know, a page for every FBS team, try to track depth charts and, and, you know, transfers in and out and all that good stuff. So, um, I've I've set up a little bit of an in- infrastructure that at least I've gotten used to, uh, able to make some changes pretty quickly, stay on top of those sort of things. But yeah, just try to take in as much information as I can and and react to it quickly and and you know whatever I miss, hope to uh, you know catch uh, as quick as I can after. There are just so many things like I could go to this page and just quickly look up. Like I I use your sheets for helping me research. Uh, all the time for this show and everything because it is such a great overview of everything that has to do with the team you do a great job in the season with all your betting and everything you do a lot of projections with these sheets with the calculations you make definitely worth subscribing over to cfb winning edge great content over there i am yeah that's that's pretty much all i have to say again lots of great stuff here pretty much anything you want to look up you will find here again whether it's some recruiting information like the 247 rivals ratings you can compare and contrast all the different stuff you can look at all their height and weights are updated how many years of eligibility a player still has that has easily been one of my favorite things to quickly go over to nick's stuff and get so definitely go check out all of his stuff with all that buttering up nick I say we go ahead and get straight into today's show. We are going to be covering some spring and camp roundup. Again, a lot of practices, but a lot of scrimmages really happened this past weekend. So a lot of great stuff from that. And then a couple of spring games have started kicking off. And that's going to be pretty much the bulk of shows moving forward and everything, learning what we can from those spring games. But a few only this weekend. And then afterwards, Nick, you had a great uh, we, were, we were chatting uh, the other day, and you had a great idea to talk about different players who are kind of, shall we say, just weirdos in college <laughs> fantasy, where like either their positions just feel wrong in terms of where they're being put on fan tracks, or they are just kind of those hybrid ones where you don't really know how they fit in different roles in the offense. We'll be discussing about 9 to 10 of those players later here today. But first, let's go ahead and get started into spring news over here, Nick. We'll start off over at Old Miss, where we got some open practice. Thank goodness. Got, can more schools do this, please, where we have open practice? People can just come in, watch them play. It, you don't have to do... Th- it annoys me to no end whenever a school says, like, oh, we have a spring game, and that spring game is just basically an open practice. Like, no, if you're going to do a game, do a game. Do what Bama, do what Georgia, do what Michigan, and all of them do. Way more fun for the people who are coming in actually paying to be there. Anyway, rant over on that. Old Miss here. Quarterbacks pretty much the same, it sounds like. Dart continues to run with the ones. Sanders is running with the ones and twos, kind of working his way. Um, working his way with both. Howard fully with the threes. He's definitely their guy of the future. I doubt he plays a major role this year unless both Sanders and Dart get hurt. Dart seemed like the best of the day. 8 for 12 for 179 yards and a touchdown. Also had three rushes for 31 yards. I don't really count those too much in like scrimmages because you can't really touch the quarterback anyway, so ignore that. Uh, Sanders had a little bit rougher of a day. 11 for 21, 129 yards and a touchdown. And then Howard had a pretty similar day. 11 for 17, 120 and a touchdown as well. Receivers. We kind of talked about last week. Really kind of 
did Nate talk about this last week? I think he did. Uh, but Chris Marshall was said to be running with the threes. And well, at this practice, he was running with the ones. It was him, JJ Henry, and Jalen Knox were the three starting wide receivers. I put down in my notes, where is Trey Harris? I found out after I wrote that note that uh, Trey Harris has been injured throughout most of the spring. So that's why he probably hasn't been running with the ones. Kind of a bummer for him because, again, like he was such a stud at Louisiana Tech. Anyway, I'm, ho- I'm hogging the mic here. Nick, what are your thoughts on what's going on over here at Ole Miss? Well, uh, first of all, you mentioned, you know, love that that it's an open practice. I do have a little bit of a uh, coaching background, so I, I kind of understand from their perspective, uh, trying to limit access as much as you can. But uh, now in the line of work I'm in, certainly, you know, <laughs> love having uh, more access than less to, to try to uh, figure out, you know, these personnel issues. And, and obviously, quarterback being a big Part of this one, I was doing some, you know, digging through my notes uh, earlier this week, and and sometimes things that are fairly obvious uh, I'll miss or, or forget about, and you know, Jackson Dart having just one rushing touchdown last year kind of jumped out at me. Uh, we will see, I think, uh, or at least there's an opportunity maybe for whether it's Dart or, or Spencer Sanders, uh, you know some positive regression there. Mm-hmm. So maybe whoever wins this job right now, at least, you know, in some of the early best balls that I'm doing, um, neither of these guys are, you know, top 20 round guys. I mean, they're right no. there on the fringe, uh, late teens, maybe early twenties. Um, and for me, I, I, I think I like hearing that Jackson Dart is, is, uh, you know, still with the ones I, understand Spencer Sanders being as you know experienced as he is but uh was of course banged up last year um seems like Dart in my opinion has a a chance to hold on to this but it is going to be you know a a question for a while as to whether or not he's he's actually going to be able to to keep the job if he does in fact open up as as uh, the starter but um you know not to get too far uh, ahead of ourselves but one of the guys who could potentially come up in, in our later conversation. Uh, Jalen Knox is one of those mm-hmm. players where, you know, context uh, for these guys is important. And I think something that, that we'll try to, uh, you know, hit home a little bit later on, but he's a guy who had nine rushing attempts last year, 78 mm-hmm. yards, didn't get in the end zone, but they have a little bit of a unique role uh, for him. And, and um, so it's, you know, important to uh, try to figure out who are, some of those unique players who have, um, you know, some roles that could potentially limit some upside. And, and you know, Jalen Knox didn't necessarily uh, wasn't the one who who limited uh, Jackson Dart to just one rushing touchdown. But, um, you know, maybe a guy like J.J. Pegues who had some rushing uh, attempts in his past, you know, other guys who get in the mix down by the red zone um, are, are going to be factors for that. But uh, this, you know, specifically – for you know, Ole Miss and, and practice reports, um, I, I struggle with it a little bit. I, I find myself um, wrestling with sometimes reports. I think it's great, and and of course, you know, you guys at C two C do a great job. I know Matt Bruning does uh, his spring camp uh, reports, which are very very valuable. But I find myself, uh, you know, thinking, all right, it's important for me to know who's running with the ones, who's running with the twos. But then I also look at the calendar and as we're recording, it's April 2nd. Yes. There's so much time for all this to so much time. You know, work itself out. So I, I try not to pay too close attention in, in some instances, but it is important to 
um, you know, keep an eye on these things as well and, and kind of have an idea of where the pecking order is right now. And, and, but still understand there's plenty of time for it to work itself out. So I'll, I'll touch on two points you made there. And we, um, we kind of had this debate a little bit in our, in the Slack as well, where like how much do you value spring camp information this far out? I have a rule where I do, if a, if it's one report that a player had a good day or like one scrimmage where a player broke out and everything, I file it in the back of my head, but I never like really kind of change things. If I start hearing steady drum beats about a player, whether it is a wide receiver who consistently is a go-to target for the player or for the quarterback or a running back that maybe wasn't set to be the starter, but they continue to flash week in and week out. That is something that will start to kind of change because that to me shows consistency and it means that they're probably earning themselves a bigger and bigger role each time. Um, going back to the old Miss over here, again, you kind of talked about how both Spencer Sanders and Dart are going later in drafts. Sanders currently going as the QB 52, Dart going as the QB 62. It's kind of funny. Like a lot of people kind of sit there and say like, oh, well, Sanders has the higher upside of the two because he has a more rushing potential. But everybody forgets that Dart, again, he rushed for almost 600 yards last year. Again, like you said, Nick, if he positively regresses just a little bit again like if you assume like a quarterback for every 100 yards they run they should get a touchdown that's five additional touchdowns that dart would be looking at next year maybe he doesn't because like you said Ole Miss likes to do some unique things around the goal line but even still just an additional three or four back towards that like that expected line that you would expect expected line that you would expect great job on that one Jared um it's so interesting just how Sanders is going 10 spots ahead, even though, again, we're seeing that Dart does have the number one spot currently, I want to say locked up, but currently he is there. Interesting other things here. Both Trig and Prescorn are running with the ones. You are looking at a lot of 12 personnel. Trig, he's back. He's healthy. He's once again starring in spring practices because he's got another himself another springtime touchdown yesterday. And uh, again, I... I don't want to be sucked back into this, but man, do I like Michael Trigg. So uh, who knows? We'll see. Uh, Any last minute thoughts, Nick, before we move on to our next school? Well, I'm with you on Trigg. I mean, he's he's incredibly talented. Unfortunately, he's had some injury issues that have impacted him the the last couple of years. Uh, But it makes a lot of sense to me that Ole Miss would uh, try to get both of those guys on the field. Of course. uh, Together. And, And that's, you know, something I'm sure we'll touch on as well. Um, just because maybe a team hasn't utilized, you know, mm-hmm. two tight ends very much in the past or has done something. Uh, again, it's important to know that history. Um, but, you know, sometimes people make changes and we have two arguably top five tight ends in the country, um, you know, find a way to get them on the field at the same time. So, uh, it's good to hear that that Trig is up and and you know performing uh, in spring practice and and hopefully we'll be able to stay healthy and and carry that over into the fall. Yes, sir. All right, let's go ahead and move on to Purdue here. Not really a ton to report here. They had a scrimmage this past weekend. This one unfortunately was not open to the public. In fact, it was very closed off. But it sounds like that Hudson card is pretty much locked up this number one QB spot. Again, I don't think that really surprises anybody. Walters, once again, he has said this twice now that he believes that card has a chance to be special. 
I don't know how far I'm willing to go with that because, again, I like Card. I don't know if he's really special quality, but we'll see. Uh, another thing is, again, steady drum beats. I look for that. Once again, I'm hearing that TJ Sheffield was said to be a standout in this past Saturday's scrimmage. So to me, he is somebody that I am probably grabbing in the later portions of a lot of drafts because, again, yes, Graham Harrell has not really lived up to potential as an offensive coordinator, but we did see that guys like Bryce Ford Wheaton, at least to start the season and for things to be, if things do stay consistent, you could have some really, really productive wide receivers in that system if they are able to get it going pretty early. And Mr. Sheffield is very much steady Eddie for this offense. Last little note here, Tyrone Tracy seems to have solidified himself as the RB2 uh, behind Devin Maccabee. I think we'll talk about him definitely a lot later, Nick. So we'll we'll save Tracy for later. But Sheffield and Carr, do you have any thoughts on those guys? Well, so I, you know, a lot of the work that I do is, I think, useful for CFF, but it's not necessarily built with CFF in mind. So, uh, you know, take, take that into account here a, a little bit as well. But, you know, I look at, at a team like Purdue, who has been, you know, productive at, at you know, the passing uh, attack specifically in years past, but, and, you know, Nate, of course, is, has mentioned this and, and does a lot of great work on coaching change. It is it, it is important to know uh, that there is a coaching change there. Walters is a defensive-minded head coach. They did bring in Graham Harrell, as you mentioned. He's had a little bit of a bumpy road, you know, the last couple of years. And and one of my numbers uh, that I like to, to turn to is team performance, what I call team performance. It's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of advanced stats go into a uh, calculation. And, and West Virginia last year ranked 98th in passing team performance. Um, so just not a very efficient passing offense. Uh, less raw numbers, which, which are a little more useful in CFF, but uh, really struggled there and a little bit better on the rushing end. They were 47th. Um, so maybe that's some good news if you're talking about Tracy or, or Maccabee. Um, but maybe, you know, you would expect uh, a Graham Harrell offense to, uh, you know, be better in, in passing categories. And, and last year at West Virginia, they really struggled. First year there, first year at Purdue. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, not super optimistic about Houston card or excuse me, Hudson card uh, right now. And part of that is, is cause you know, Graham Harrell uh, just hasn't really been on, on a, a great uh, streak here in, in uh, you know, past years. And I am a little bit concerned um, that, you know, Walters is, is a defensive minded head coach and a first time first mm-hmm. year head coach, which is always something to be aware of too. I mean, it does help that, again, he at least went out and got a truly offensive-minded guy for his offensive coordinator position. He clearly sees that, like, hey, like that's where I'm limited. Let me go get a guy. Whether that's going to work out or not, we'll definitely see. But, again, some names to file away there at Purdue. Let's get away from the Power 5 for a second. Let's go and talk about a Mac school where we actually get a little bit of information. Shout-out to J.D. Yonke for finding some nuggets here. Uh and plenty of good, uh, plenty of good discussion to be had here. So recently, Western Michigan in an interview, center Jacob Gideon said that the pace of play is going to increase greatly under Coach Lance Taylor, and Gideon specifically said that they're going to run eighty to a hundred plays to for a game. 
that feels like a big exaggeration because only three teams in all of FBS had over 80 plays per game last year. That is Oklahoma State, Buffalo, and Texas Tech. I have a I have a fat doubt that Western Michigan will get there in a single year. Maybe maybe year two, but regardless, clearly it is a goal of theirs to be going faster, to get more points, um, to be more aggressive on offense. So the question now remains. Who do you draft? Because nobody's left at Western Michigan. Sean Tyler, gone to Minnesota. Corey Crooms, also gone to Minnesota. You have Ladarius Jefferson. He's gone. So who does that who does that leave left? Well, you got two quarterbacks who are locked in competition with each other with Bor- Borgette and Salopec. I think I pronounced both of those names right. Um, and then of your wide receivers... I have one that I kind of like. Again, I like Jelani Galloway. He's a three-star transfer coming in from Boston College. 28 catches last year. And the thing about this is that Billy Kosh, their new offensive coordinator they brought in from Richmond, very much focused on the passing attack. Had three receivers last year at Richmond with over 70 receptions. That stat brought to you by our wonderful Nate Marquise's coaching change articles. Go check all of those out. So, Nick, who who... Is there anybody you're kind of looking at maybe targeting here? Because clearly there's some things built here that an offense could be pretty productive, especially if this is a bad Mac team. They're going to be forced to pass the ball a whole ton. So are there any wide receivers that you kind of like here? Uh, Unfortunately, right now I uh, am staying away. Um, You know, it is good news that Western Michigan is uh, ramping up the pace a little bit. Uh, that's quite a change. Last year, according to my numbers, which look at uh, the time between snaps um, for pace, Western Michigan ranked 95th. So it's, it's you know, quite a change. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, you know, wasn't impressed really with either quarterback last year. Um, one, you know, one number that, that carries a lot of weight for me is yards per pass attempt. Pretty simple, mm-hmm. but both of these guys, uh, you know, Salopec, Jake Sal- Jack Salopec was 6.06 yards per pass attempt last season and Trayson Borgett, uh, 5.5, you know, both mm-hmm. guys were under 50%, uh, completion percentage, which can certainly be misleading, but, um, you know, just, I wasn't impressed with either guy and they really will need to get better quarterback play. in, in my opinion, for either of those wide receivers, you know, to be valuable, um, that said, you know, the change in offensive coordinator, sometimes you can inject new life. Uh, certainly, you know, there's a, a track record at Richmond, as, as you mentioned. Um, so I think that there are some positive signs and the wide receiver group is a little bit more established. Obviously, they lost Crooms, as you mentioned, but, um, you know, Galloway, 50 plus targets last year. Um, uh, you know, maybe he or, or Sambucci Kelly had 50 forward. plus targets last year and it only caught 28 targets. catches. Exactly. exactly. Yikes. Yeah. Zero touchdowns. So, I mean, and that's, that's, you know, quarterback play is, is a big part of that. And so, you know, maybe Western Michigan is, uh, a post spring, uh, opportunity for a quarterback transfer that that could be you know is is possible. Um, if they were to to be able to bring in a, a you know experienced power five you know former talented uh, highly rated recruit you know maybe that would interest me a little bit more. Um, but right now 
And it's, it's definitely an inexact science because, you know, you're installing a new offense, new head coach, first time, first year head coach as well. Um, there are some things where you can kind of talk yourself into it and hearing the pace is, is uh, going up is something that we like to hear in, in CFF, but also um, again, I, I try to find context and, and when I think it can be valuable, Western Michigan ranks dead last in FBS in defensive returning production. So mm-hmm. I could see a scenario where you're operating at a really high pace, don't have good quarterback play. That makes me think a lot of three and outs. Mm-hmm. Then you hand it over, you know, to your defense, uh, where they maybe are not good enough, can't get off the field. Um, and, and you're just, you know, in a, in a bad spot where, you know, nobody is producing on the offensive side of the ball. Western Michigan might just be a bad team that, you know, maybe we're not going to see a valuable piece. Um, that said, you know, I'll, I'll definitely be looking for more information, looking for some follow-ups on this, looking for, uh, you know, some notes on, on if one of these quarterbacks is kind of taking charge, taking control of that job. And that might benefit a guy like Galloway or Sambucci, or are they, even though they're operating at a fast pace, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be super pass heavy, even if the offensive coordinator or play caller has, uh, you know, shown that in the past, maybe a guy like Zahir uh, Abdul Salim, uh, who has flashed at times in the past, uh, maybe he becomes, you know, a valuable piece as a, a big time uh, Didn't he have one of the type running back? Most least one of the least efficient performances yes. in the country last <laughs> well, year. Well, I'm just I mean, you know, the stat line from last year, not great, obviously. Um, <laughs> he was like two point know... two yards per carry or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Slightly, slightly below two point two yards per carry. Oh no. Uh zero touchdowns and forty six attempts. But um, but he, you know, he showed some good things in the bowl game two years ago. And then, you know, last year they had Tyler, they had Jefferson. Uh, so he wasn't a big part of that offense. Um, maybe he takes a step forward. Maybe he's a beneficiary here. Um, but uh, I right now am, am just not super optimistic. No, fair enough. And the good news about all of these Western Michigan players is the fact that none of these guys are going very high in draft. So if you do want to take a shot on one of these guys, wait until the very last round of your draft and you could probably take a shot on them. Let's go ahead and talk about Ohio State over here. Nothing really in terms of changing uh, when it comes to like your top wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks. I think we all know those names. I do think it is worth talking a little bit about, and this is a little bit more CFF dynasty than it is really the like just CFF redraft, but I think it is interesting to talk about. Carnell Tate, man, wide receiver, uh, five-star, four-star, depending on where you look. One of the fastest players to ever lose his black stripe this early. And he is still, as far as I'm concerned, the only freshman to do so so far at Ohio State for this year. That is very impressive given some of the receivers that they also bringing in with this year. Brandon Emmons has not gotten onto campus yet, so who knows whether he would have lost his black stripe as quickly as Tate did. But as far as I've heard, Tate's already running with the twos. They already got Noah Rogers running with the twos as well. They got Bryson Rogers, which I don't think anybody should def- – you'd never count out any Ohio State wide receiver, really. But, again, they have a very talented group coming in, and already Tate is standing out from the rest of this group. That puts him up my board a little bit more for dynasty purposes than I was really having him before. That Because, again, this black stripe kind of is a symbolization of, like, hey, this is a dude who's doing everything right. He's bought into the team. 
I, that's the kind of stuff I like to hear. So Nick, because it's not redraft, really quick thoughts on Carnell Tate, and then we can move on to some Arizona schools. Yeah, I think I think this is one of the most important pieces of information you can get out of these spring practice reports. Ohio State, of course, you know, has a lot of guys sitting out this spring, yes. but that creates opportunities for these younger guys who might not impact this year, but as you mentioned, for dynasty purposes, great to know that Tate is is impressing. Um, you know, probably won't be able to count on him this year, but uh, a lot of great signs moving forward. Yeah. Alrighty, again, not too much out of Ohio State. Definitely was just worth talking about Carnell Tate there for a minute. But let's go down to Arizona. We're going to talk about both the Arizona schools today. But let's talk about the Wildcats first. Big thing here that I took away from practice reports recently is that Jonah Coleman is said to be bigger and faster than last year. This is a freshman that a lot of us liked going into last year. But... He couldn't quite overtake Michael Wiley. Michael Wiley ended up being a top 30 CFF running back last year. He was one of my favorite guys this year to kind of grab in mid-rounds. Somebody that seemed to kind of always be flying under the radar a little bit. Has been rising a little bit. But these camp reviews of Coleman have been absolutely glowing. And to me, if Coleman keeps this up, both of these guys' ceiling is going to be capped for this upcoming year. Uh, other thing to really kind of look out for is that, man... Jacob Cowling, we all know he's going to be great, but man, Tetari McMillan, the four-star freshman wide receiver from there, from last year, already performed well last year. With Dorian Singer out the door, he looks like he just completely stepped up in that role as the clear number two guy for this offense. And it, honestly, I think he could make give Cowling a running for the wide receiver one position this year, considering his talent level. Regardless, it seems like the Wildcats are going to have two productive wide receivers again, for CFF, these two have separated themselves excuse me, themselves completely away from the rest of the room. Nick, your thoughts on the Wildcats and some of these offensive pieces that they have? Yeah, I, I was surprised. Went back and looked just how well Michael Wiley performed last year. Sort of under the radar, super productive season. It was. Um, and it it is a little bit. Uh, alarming is not the right word, but, but, you know, do need to be a little bit cautious because I saw that and was like, oh, wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely way too low on Wiley, but as you mentioned, Coleman is back and, and, you know, getting rave reviews in camp. Uh, Rayshon Luke was not healthy last year, but he nope. was you know, playing when he was, and he'll be back in the mix and DJ Williams, you know, taking advantage of the extra year of eligibility. He I forgot back. he existed. Yeah. And, you know, Jaden Delora had four rushing touchdowns last season. So um, to me, that's a pretty crowded situation. I think for, you know, team wise, a good sign for Arizona, but for CFF purposes, uh, probably we should worry a little bit about, you know, Wiley's uh, ceiling, but, uh, you know, definitely do love to hear that McMillan is performing really well. Um, you know, Cowing, I know is, is going really high. I think he's still, you know, second rounder or, or so in, in ADP. Um, and there are certainly great numbers, just raw numbers. Uh, maybe there's a little bit of a concern if you dive a little bit deeper that mm -hmm. he struggled uh, down the stretch, also didn't perform particularly well against the better teams that Arizona faced. Um, and then McMillan is a, you know, big target, 6'5", six, 6'4", six, something like that, yep. um, which obviously is, is not howling. Um, so maybe... He has a little more upside as a red zone target and, and things like that. So I, I do think that 
McMillan is probably somebody, at least in the drafts I've been a part of, who's who's maybe a little undervalued right now, at, at least compared to Cowing and compared to this Arizona offense as a whole, which we're hearing good things about Jane Delora, just some steps that he's, you know, making. Um, and McMillan, uh, at least as far as a, a you know piece of the production uh, puzzle, piece of the pie, um, probably has a, a, an easier path to uh, a, a high-performing season than maybe somebody like Wiley, who's now you know competing even more for carries with guys who are impressing in that backfield. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to look at the ADB of some of the Arizona guys here. McMillan is going as a wide receiver 26. Cowling, of course, going in the top seven wide receiver. Yeah, he's wide receiver seven. But McMillan, like you said, he's a. I think he's a little undervalued here. Again, you're talking about a guy who's been on average going in the seventh round compared to Cowling, who, again, I love Cowling. I think he's going to be an absolute monster this year. But, like, honestly, it might be a little worth it to just kind of pass on him and maybe take McMillan later. I have a feeling McMillan's going to rise as the season kind of goes along here. And then where else are some of the other... Yeah, Michael Wiley, talking about a guy who's going in the 11th round. I think that's still pretty fair for him. Like, even if his upside is a little capped, like, he's still with Jonah Coleman last year, got a top 30 wide receiver, or top 30 wide receiver, top 30 running back performance there. He may not quite get back to that this year. Jonah Coleman's taking more carries away from him. But at the same time, I think that is definitely a pretty fair value for him because, yeah, he's going as a running back 44 and then uh, I'm curious, where's where's Delora going? What are you doing, buddy? You are. I can't find him. Yeah, he seemed a bit low in in some of the best balls is. and things. Uh, like that. Quarterback twenty eight. So he's currently going. He's going right where Wiley's going. So he's uh, in the eleventh round as well. Let's go talk about their rivals across the state here. Let's go to Arizona State, where man, oh man. Jalen Conyers hype has been on full like full steam ahead lately it feels like I, it's like every other day I'm seeing a highlight tape of Jalen Conyers just completely mossing somebody in practice quite the steady drum beat here I like Conyers last year I think he did a, he had a pretty respectable line 38 catches 422 yards five touchdowns the thing here though is that with Dillingham coming in and establishing a new offense there he has a history of just locating and finding the best player but finding his best players and finding ways to get the balls to them he's never his system as far as i can tell doesn't really prioritize like outside guys inside guys or anything like that it's just who's the best guy let's get him the ball in different ways i think that conyers is currently kind of setting himself apart from the rest of the receiving options at Arizona State. As far as I can tell, again, there's some good options there. You got Elijah Badger. Xavier Guillory has definitely been per, um, impressing over there. But man, just the way these guys talk about Conyers, it really kind of tells you that this is the kind of guy that I think you should start investing in a little bit more. Again, let me look up where Conyers is going in ADP. He is currently going as the tight end 20. I have a feeling that's definitely going to be rising over the next couple of months, especially if we continue to get, like I said, consistent praise from the coaching staff with him. Nick, your thoughts on the Arizona State pass-catching options here? So I've, I've certainly seen some highlights, seen a lot of buzz about Jalen Conyers, and it's it's impressive. And I do think that uh, he's probably been a little bit undervalued um, to this point. I think, and I... I Feel bad about this. I feel like I'm throwing cold water on on some of these. Please do. Please uh, do. 
I, I feel like he's very quickly going to become, he's going to move from underrated to overrated. Uh, so basically the Michael Trigg route. <laughs> well, potentially, I don't know if he's going to get quite that high, but we'll, we'll see. Um, like you, I've, I've, you know, uh, seen a lot of glowing Arizona state reports. Uh, Xavier Guillory specifically is somebody it seemed like the first, you know, four or five practices, uh, was the first name mentioned in reports that I saw. But one thing that, that, I think is important to notice a little bit of context. Um, and this is part of my struggles with spring as a whole. So I'll try to be brief here, but spring practice is a zero sum game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if the offense looks great, the defense probably looks bad. Yes. And there is some evidence to suggest that Arizona state is potentially a little bit more on the bad defense side of things. They rank 126th in defensive returning production. Oh, no. uh, and And certainly there's a lot of, new pieces coming in and and so they could get up to speed uh you know relatively quickly but um they weren't you know a, a particularly great defense last year i mean that's an understatement they ranked 121st in defensive team performance uh so they were bad defense last year uh bad pass defense last year ranked uh well not bad but 67th so not great on on you know pass defense per, uh team performance uh, but they're just very, very young as well. So this is probably not a very good defense. Um, so that might benefit some of these offensive players a little bit. Dillingham being an offensive coach probably benefits them a little bit. And then one maybe sneaky bit of the the puzzle, uh, I think, is Messiah Swinson, uh, tight end, who's also okay. back, who is six foot eight and Jeez, had a couple nice. of touchdown catches last year, only had 15 uh, receptions. Um, 23 targets, but he potentially might eat into a little bit of Conyers' upside. I've heard some good things, you know, uh, about Swinson as well. Um, And, you know, uh, Conyers, very impressive this spring. Seen some highlights. I know Nate tweeted out, um, you know, uh, where he bossed a a big uh, DB uh, the other day. Uh, But I think, you know, it's important to take all the context um and you know maybe maybe we should be just a a little bit cautious before uh pushing Conyers all the way into that elite tier or or you know mm-hmm. close to it um because there are some other things to consider yeah no i think that's uh, that's perfect nate i i love it did i call you nate nick that's perfect nick close enough nobody would have even noticed i guarantee you they did <laughs> anyway Let's go ahead. Let's go back to the Big Ten. We, we we talked about Ohio State earlier. Let's go back over there. Let's talk about Illinois. Nate, Nick, I, I'm going to do this all podcast now. It's going to be, It's this is not going to be good. Nick, I know this probably breaks your heart a little bit because I know you were kind of looking at this running back room, trying to figure out who's going to be that next guy. Brett Bielema, man, has been very vocal about the fact that he wants to move away from what they did with Chase Brown last year. That had a lot more, he's been saying that had a lot more to do with injuries and that he has a good two to three back rotation for them to use for this upcoming season, specifically between Josh McRae, Reggie Love, and then uh, Caden Fagan is the new freshman running back coming in this year that a lot of people are very hyped about. He's probably going to find a role as well. McRae, if I remember correctly, let me look up his ADP real quick. Uh, oops, that's my bad. Give me a second, y'all. Just need to get back to the... There we go. Make sure I never do that again. 
right, McCray is currently going as the running back 37. So that seem, given our information here, it was it's nice to think that we can just always pick the next guy up in different systems. But when we have the head coach specifically saying, we are not doing that again, McCray at running back 37 definitely feels a little bit high. He's going to need to come down. What do you think, Nick? I'm I'm disappointed in this news. I, I personally um, am pretty high on Josh McCray. I think uh, I took him in the uh, maybe the, the very first mock that you read. Uh, in like the seventh or eighth round. Um, I was really impressed by him when he was a, a true freshman in 2021. And I know the numbers aren't, you know, don't necessarily jump off the page, but he just ran incredibly powerfully. Um, a big, big running back, but also I think, you know, flashed a little bit of speed, didn't, you know, at least didn't look super slow. Um, and then last year, he just wasn't healthy. And so I know we got to see him a little bit and, you know, he didn't look great, didn't look healthy, didn't look, you know, fast or, or that uh, impressive uh, last season. But I was, I guess, sort of assuming, at least hoping um, that he would be 100 percent and maybe the, you know, have the inside track uh, to take over in what I hoped would be, you know, a pretty big role mm -hmm. uh, coming into the year to, to hear uh, vocally, repeatedly, you know, over the last week or so, um, how much they want to uh, spread the workload a little bit is a, is concerning to me. Uh, the fact that the most recent thing I saw specifically said uh, that Reggie Love right now looks to be, um, you know, the guy at, at the top of the depth chart, uh, even though it, it still, you know, signs are pointing toward a committee. Mm -hmm. Um uh, you know, the the quotes have mentioned that, you know, Bielema likes a committee and has done it in the past. And, and that's, you know, true to an extent. I mean, in, in way back in, in 2014, when he was at Arkansas, they did have multiple thousand yard rushers. Yep. Uh, both of those guys, Jonathan Williams and Alex Collins had uh, double digit touchdowns. So there's still, you know, some value there. Maybe even both guys uh, could potentially have value if we're thinking they're going to be anything like that. But after that point, I mean, there were times where, you know, he leaned on Alex Collins the following year, mm -hmm. 1,500 yards and 20 touchdowns. And the next closest guy had 90 uh, attempts and, and, you know, less than 300 or excuse me, less than 400 uh, rushing yards. Raleigh Williams had a big year in, in 2016 uh, at Arkansas when, when Bielema was the head coach there. And they've changed a little bit. Barry Lunny Jr. is not, you know, obviously wasn't the play caller back in uh, in those days. And, and so perhaps I was getting a little too caught up in, you know, my impression of, of McRae a couple of years ago. Uh, and it is, I think a fair point that, you know, Chase Brown was a pretty special running yep. back. And, you know, when you have a guy like that, you do lean on him a little bit more. Uh, maybe, maybe the situation is just not the same and, and I shouldn't have assumed. Uh, but man, I, I, I like McRae. <laughs> and so I was, <laughs> I'm, I'm sad to hear, uh, these reports that I've, that I've heard this past week, but certainly, you know, should, should, uh, I think this is one I do personally need to file away and keep in mind. And, uh, I still might grab McCray, uh, but, but maybe I'll be able to get him in, you know, the mid teens instead of, uh, in, in that seven, eight, nine round range where he was going, uh, initially partly due to me. <laughs> 
Yeah, no problem with falling in love with a certain guy and being up, willing to pay up for him a little bit. But and like you said, like even if they are splitting the carries and everything, there is still the possibility that maybe they do have multiple guys. Maybe it's not funnel at all to Chase Brown, but like you can split the workload between the guys and maybe you do have multiple thousand yard backs here, in which case both McCray and Love would be two guys that you'd want to have in your CFF teams. But I don't know if Illinois is going to be able to do that. Granted, he was able to do it with Arkansas, so who knows? One last little spring camp update here. This one will be real quick. Over to Wisconsin, a little nugget. Uh, shout out to Corey P. Uh, Pereira, our Devi lead here at Campus of Canton. He put out a tweet uh, talking about how C.J. Williams just out of nowhere just kind of overtook uh, Shimray DK in practice recently where he was just absolutely dominating with the twos and they brought him up to play in the slot with the ones. I have a feeling that they're going to still find a way to get DK and Williams out there at the same time, but it is striking to me that this is a former borderline like of, of this is a former four-star recruit coming over to Wisconsin, a team that has not had a ton of talent at the wide receiver position. Him moving up this quickly is something to note, especially in a Phil Longo offense in that slot position that we all have loved over the past couple of years where Josh Downs has been sitting. What do you think about this, Nick, real quick? I think this is good news. Uh, there were some concerns that CJ Williams, you know, wasn't getting uh, much action, at least with the, the starters early in spring camp. I thought perhaps some uh, folks were overreacting that uh, to that a little bit, feel that, that his talent would eventually win out. So this is good news that it's happening maybe even faster than, than we previously expected. All right. Let's go ahead and talk about some spring games. Again, spring games, Mal, it feels crazy that we're already pretty much in spring game season. Like the next couple of weeks are going to be absolutely nuts with the number of teams that have spring games. We'll do our best to cover all of those, but for right now we only have three to cover. Uh, a good variety here. We got BYU up first. We'll get to Michigan. We'll get to Southern Miss in a second. BYU, nothing super surprising at the quarterback. Slovis is your number one guy. Juco transfer Jake Ratzleff is your number two. If you, like me, are not a big fan of Kedon Slovis and think that he might wash himself out at some point this year, definitely a guy to keep an eye on is Ratzleff. Aiden Robbins and Soljay were both out during this spring game, so that leaves Hinkley, Rapati to deal with the ones. And Miles Davis, who a lot of people were kind of falling in love with a little bit last season, uh, he's still running with the two. So that tells me he's pretty much out of it. Uh, if you got Robbins and Soljay out and he's still running with the twos, that tells me don't, don't invest too much there. I think this is unfortunately looking like it could be heading a bit towards a committee approach if Robbins is not out there getting the reps this spring like he needed to. And in terms of wide receivers, Cody Epps was out, and you had Nyberg come up and replace him in the splot. Splot. Good Lord. I can't speak today. So much fun. Anyway, two guys on the outside are the two we expected, Keanu Hill and Chase Roberts. Chase Roberts is the name I think we need to be watching for in this BYU offense moving forward. Um, you are talking about a guy that is extremely speedy, able to take off the top of a defense, and BYU does love taking their deep shots. In addition, he has gotten the endorsement from 
former standout wide receiver Puka Nasua. Uh, shout out to CF Froton for getting that little nugget while they were at the NFL Combine. He gave a specific shout out to Chase Roberts. And recent reports have said that Roberts just continues to look more and more like a true number one wide receiver for this offense. I have personally moved up Roberts recently, and I think that Quite frankly, people need to start opening up a little bit because I've seen Epps. I've seen Keanu Hill get drafted. It is very rare when I see Chase Roberts being considered the number one guy, and that has to change. Nick, your thoughts? Uh, Well, so, uh, you know, great news on Roberts. He performed, you know, got out to a really strong start last year. Uh, Had a 100-yard game against Baylor, um, and... Looked like he was on his way to, to a really strong season. Unfortunately, got hurt in late September, missed some time. You know, only had two receptions uh, after uh, week three uh, until, you know, late October when he came back and, and got a little bit uh, more into the swing of things. So I think seeing him back and healthy and hearing the good reports, uh, that's that's really, really positive. Um I was impressed at different times by Cody Epps and Keanu Hill last year. So I'm, I'm not ready to write them off altogether just yet, but I do certainly agree that Chase Roberts has, has been uh, really underrated and, and somebody who's been, um, you know, somebody that you could get at a, a really strong value. I think he will be uh, a factor. And, you know, if he takes over, uh, if we can expect a similar usage profile to Puka Nakua, uh, I think that's important to know because Puka Nakua had five rushing touchdowns last year, which tied for the lead among you know guys who were primarily wide receivers. So um, again, something we'll talk about a little bit later, but if there's a little bit of a, a hybrid role that somebody like a Chase Roberts or, or one of these other guys, if they factor in there, um, we're going to want to know who it is. So good to see that, that uh, Roberts is back and fully healthy. I, uh, otherwise, I'm always very skeptical about what comes out of BYU as far as coaching uh, reports. Fair point. Um, we've heard in, in years past that like, oh yeah, these these two are, are you know, in a dead hit. Zach Wilson, right? Didn't, uh, you know, all into the fall. I was like, oh, he's neck and neck. Uh, he might not even be the starter. And then he goes out and has, you know, a, a historic season that makes him, uh, you know, top NFL draft pick. So uh, the Drake um, May experience. Right, right. So we've had that in the past. It's kind of interesting to see the complete opposite here, the complete opposite where it's like, oh yeah, Slo- Slovis is our guy. Slovis is our guy. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, maybe not verbatim, but you know, that, that seems to be uh, what they're suggesting here. Um, so I'm just, I'm a little bit skeptical uh, when it comes to coaches quotes coming out of there. Okay. Um, BYU, has has evolved at different times you know they've had running back by committee at times they've had uh guys where they you know lean on one um they've had high-end quarterbacks that have been in you know position battles they've had now a guy who's on his third team and you know career turning in the wrong direction who seems to be you know number one and and it's just a battle for the number two spot so um i i'm gonna hold a little bit of a wait and see approach uh, I do think that Aiden Robbins is probably going to be the guy who's going to emerge as that running back number one. Um, but, uh, you know, is his upside limited maybe. Um, but uh, the big takeaway, I think, you know, as you mentioned, is, is good news for Chase Roberts and 
somebody that we forgot about a little bit when he got hurt last year. So um, I think he's somebody that's certainly going to climb up rankings and, and draft boards. To your point about other wide receivers in, on this team, one thing we have to remember is that BYU is moving to the Big 12. That is going to be a more difficult week-in and week-out schedule that they are, than they are used to, which means that probably the offense itself is going to be a little bit more capped, but it's also going to force them to pass a lot more because that defense is going to be tested more than it has seen in their independent schedules in the last couple of years. So I still think Chase Roberts is the best guy, but that doesn't mean that guys like Keanu Hill and Cody Epps can't also be relevant. Again, we see every year there are tons of offenses that have more than one guy who are relevant on a week-to-week basis. And so I'm not saying, yeah, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am saying Chase Roberts is your best bet. I would still probably take the shot on guys like Keanu Hill and Cody Epps if they are coming at a fair price compared to where Chase Roberts is going. So... Let's real, move on. Real quick. Oh, go ahead. To, sorry to, to interject there. Uh, I totally agree. You know, keep in mind that the conference change, uh, that's an important factor. They will be facing more talented defenses week in and week out. I would push back a little bit. We shouldn't assume they're going to pass more. You know, sometimes when you're playing a more talented opponent, uh, from a coaching perspective, it makes more sense to shorten the game, you know, limit possessions. Uh, so maybe they will take a, you know, 240 pound running back like Aiden Robbins and really ride him, slow the offense down a little bit to try to keep uh, the score close, get into the fourth quarter. Uh, so, I, you know, we can't just assume they're going to pass more, even if they're playing better competition. Uh, it's certainly a possibility, um, but there are scenarios where they actually pass less in my opinion. So I'll ask you, Nick, because you're more you're more in tune with this side of the ball than I am. How's BYU's defense looking this year? Because if if it truly is just a a place where that defense can't stop anybody in the Big 12 mm-hmm. because of them moving up and everything like that, at that point, it doesn't make sense to slow the game down because you're not going to be able to slow the game down. Well, I mean, if you have a bad defense, yeah. you know, uh, part of the part of the uh, how do you make an offense, or excuse me, how do you how do you you know improve your defensive numbers it's you know keep your defense off the field and and so um uh, specifically BYU last year performed really really poorly uh defensively uh as far as experience goes they're middle of the pack in returning production this year they do have a new defensive coordinator who was a longtime winning head coach at the FCS level okay uh, so I think you know to me that's a little bit of a positive sign they were uh, impacted by injury last year, especially at the linebacker position. Um, I mean, three guys that are probably, you know, going to play a lot of snaps at linebacker this year, miss big portions of last season uh, due to injury. So I do think the defense will be, uh, should be better. I mean, they'll, they'll also be facing more talented, uh, you know, opponents uh, moving into the big 12. Um, so it's, it's difficult to say specifically, um, but there are some positive signs, I think, for the BYU defense. Uh, experience isn't a major red flag right now, but last year's defense was was really, really bad. I think they will be a little bit better. No, absolutely, and makes all of the sense. Let's go talk about the Michigan spring game over here. Again, in terms of CFF potential for this year, I don't think there's really much to take away from here. McCarthy kind of had an up and down game. If you like him, you probably weren't put off that much by yesterday's performance. If you didn't like him, you nothing nothing happened yesterday to where you're now all of a sudden aboard the McCarthy train. 
the future of the running back situation for Michigan from a CFF dynasty perspective is definitely something to kind of consider here. They got some pretty good options moving forward. You got Mullins, you got Orgy, but yesterday the star of the show really was not true freshman Cole Cabana like a lot of people are kind of expecting coming into this year, but true freshman Benjamin Hall had 13 carries, 96 yards and a touchdown now granted he's going up against the second and third team on defense so you take a lot of that with a grain of salt but if you're going to do that you better dominate them and 96 yards and only 13 carries is definitely showing that you can dominate that performance and in addition Michigan has some pretty good tight ends in that room again like georgia i think has the best tight end room in the country but man michigan i don't think is that far behind colson loveland aj barner they bring in from indiana uh hibner as well kind of showed out in this game as well would have had a touchdown had he not uh been tackled by the turf monster about 10 yards in the end zone those are kind of my takeaways from the michigan spring game it was it was a little hard to kind of dissect with you know with quorum and edwards being out you didn't quite get to see the full offense running there nick did anything kind of stand out to you from the michigan spring game not really um it, it's one of those where and you alluded to it uh you know you probably saw whatever confirmed your priors if you have concerns about jj mccarthy you saw some reasons to think oh yeah well you know he, he uh, looked a little shaky there had the bad interception um but then if you are pro jj mccarthy you say well you know spring game doesn't really matter he yep. didn't have uh some of his best players um you know it's always a little bit weird when he can't get hit uh which he was the only quarterback that was off limits so um I think it's difficult to, you know, draw anything uh, concrete. I completely agree with their tight end room. I, I really like Colson Loveland. Um, he's one of those, I think, uniquely athletic tight ends that I'm I'm really, really excited about. Um, his upside might be a little bit limited, as you mentioned, with Barner coming in. But um, uh, I, you know, maybe the the one thing that stuck out to me a little bit and, and uh, made a little bit of a, a joke about it in, in a chat that uh, – uh, you know, as someone who really hasn't had much of an opportunity to to draft Blake Corum yet and hasn't gotten Donovan Edwards, uh, you know, great to see that uh, Michigan just can't help but uh, giving a linebacker goal line carries. You know, yep. and Mulling scoring that first that first touchdown. That's maybe one of those scenarios to just be aware of a little bit. Sometimes coaches and play callers uh, can't help but get creative. Some might say too cute down by the. Uh, the goal line or in short yardage situations. And maybe you get somebody like Mullings who uh, has sort of become a little bit of a short yardage specialist that is going to get more carries than he probably should have when you have uh, what most would consider the, the top one, two running back combo in the country. I am never going to be a head coach at the college football level. I'm never going to be an offensive play caller. I will say it drives me nuts when I see teams like Michigan and my own Georgia Bulldogs when you get down near the goal line and you have guys like Colson Loveland, you have guys like A.J. Barner, and you have incredible running backs. Why is play action to the tight end not one of your go-to plays right around the goal line? It drives me nuts every single time, especially when they run it. They just run it straight up the middle three times in a row and then you kick the field goal. Drives me nuts. Anyway completely off topic um that's pretty much all i had with the michigan spring game let's go talk about a g5 spring game they call it a scrimmage but it was labeled as their spring game whatever southern miss 
home of the illustrious Mr. Frank Gore Jr., who sat out the spring game. He was a healthy scratch. Of course, like he is their golden goose. They are not going to risk him in a scrimmage like this. They know exactly what they have with him. Two bits of information to note here. I know a lot of people liked Ryan Wilkie uh, as the starting quarterback going into last year was a guy that has some dual threat ability. The problem with him is that he doesn't seem like he's the starting quarterback anymore. It looks like that Clemson transfer Billy Wiles has started working with the first team, got all of the first team reps in the scrimmage this past weekend while Wilkie was taking snaps with the second team. So that pretty much gives us a blank board of knowing, not knowing anything about what that quarterback position could look like for Southern Miss, which could either be a really good thing for a one Mr. Frank or a really bad thing. The other thing that stuck out to me, I had no clue this had happened, and I'm glad that I did some research and found this out. Rodriguez Clark, that might be a name some of you might have forgotten about. That used to be one of the Memphis running backs that was in that absolute clog of running backs that they had in that backfield at one point. He transferred out, and he ended up here at Southern Miss. During this game, with Frank Gore out, 10 touches, 59 yards, 3 touchdowns. That can, You can take away two things from that. One, you might be a bit more scared about Frank Gore and say, oh my god, they got two really good running backs now. Maybe that's going to cap Frank Gore's ceiling. I'd rather doubt it because Frank Gore, I think, is clearly the best guy on this roster. But this seems like the next guy up if Frank Gore were to leave after this season. It would make a lot of sense. They clearly are comfortable with using him as a workhorse back here. Again, getting him three different touchdowns, two goal line touches, I believe one 20-yard-plus run that got him into the end zone. So definitely a name to file away, especially if you're in a deep best ball league and you want to start in those later rounds looking for guys that are kind of handcuffs to your main guys up top. Clark seems like the definitely the guy to get if you have Gore as one of your number one guys. Nick, your thoughts on the Southern Miss spring game here? Yeah, this was one of those where I think, uh, you know, I try not to, to read too much uh, into things. Um, if I were to, to, you know, make my best guess on this quarterback situation and then also, uh, Dre Clark's emergence, neither is necessarily, you know, the very best news for Frank Gore, uh, from a, a CFF perspective, uh, if Clark, you know, emerges as somebody you can depend on as, uh, you know, a, a running back number two, you're not going to have to rely on Gore for quite as heavy of a workload. Uh, and from, you know, a Southern Miss just football perspective, that's something that they're really probably hoping for. I mean, Clark oh, yeah. has right around a thousand career rushing yards. Um, so he's, he's, you know, if he's able to, to be healthy, which has been a little bit of an issue uh, recently, and he didn't play at all last year. I'm not sure. I don't remember if that was entirely uh, injury related or if he had, I think he maybe had entered the portal early and then just never, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember all the details, but um, if he's able to come in, you can take a little bit of that workload from Frank Gore. Um, and that might, you know, limit Gore's upside just a little bit because they won't have to give him, you know, 25, 30 carries every week. Uh, and also if they get the quarterback situation figured out and, and can rely on, you know, some consistency at that position, well, then you won't have to have Frank Gore, you know, as what they call it, the super back. Um, and you know, that some of his biggest games, uh, from a, uh, you know, scoring CFF scoring perspective, um, have come when he's had multiple passing touchdowns as well as, uh, punching it in as, as a runner, 
uh, also. So um, I think, you know, uh, Southern Miss, they do a great job of figuring it out and finding a way to be competitive. Um, and Frank Gore has been a big, big part of that. And so I understand their coaching staff, you know, wanting to to have to rely on him less. Uh, but if you're, you know, drafting Frank Gore as, you know, top 10 running back, um, this maybe isn't the best news if if you're uh, trying to, to, to read too much into it. But um, with him being draft eligible, you know, not sure if he's going to jump necessarily, but I would expect that that is a reason to think that, okay, they're, they're going to uh, give him the opportunity to, to carry a pretty heavy workload again, uh, you know, just in case this is it for him. And he jumps up, you know, uh, makes a, makes a run in a professional career after this. Yep. Alrighty. Let's go ahead and move forward to the title of this show an hour in let's finally talk about some of these hybrid players. My bad. And, That's and, my fault. Nah, it's all good, Nick. Again, there's a there's a lot to get through today. Um, let's talk about some of these hybrid players. Let's uh, what we're gonna do is we're not gonna really name specific players, although some of these categories, like when we think of them, we are thinking of a very specific player, and we will definitely talk about that. But we're gonna try to talk about them in a little bit of abstract terms. So not only can you apply them to this year, but maybe years in the future, maybe as guys shift at, throughout the rest of the offseason, maybe you can kind of think back to this pod and consider what we have been talking about here. I say we jump right into it. And we got to consider, um, again, it's important to consider this because, again, like you have guys who will have unclear roles or just random dual eligibilities that can really can end up being broken sometimes. So like for th- those of you who might remember a couple years ago, the Jordan Myers fiasco, he was a tight end uh, eligible player from Rice who ended up being treated like a running back by the staff. He had 92 carries, 338 yards, and eight touchdowns, just completely broken for several weeks at the tight end position because you could effectively play a starting running back in your tight end position. So being aware of these things is very important and also being aware of all these different guys and how it might affect them going forward. Anyway, first category here, we got Mr or we have the Swiss Army Knife, we will call them. These are the guys that can basically play literally any position on the field. They're just fantastic athletes, and they're the guys that if a team doesn't have a lot of great options, this these are the guys the coaching staff find creative ways to get the ball. And no other better example, really, than Jaheim Bell, the former tight end from South Carolina, currently at Florida State. Last year, Bell had 73 carries, 261 yards, and three touchdowns, along with 25 catches for 231 yards and two touchdowns. 73 carries for only 250 yards. Talk about some misutilization there. No wonder he left South Carolina. So when it comes to guys like this, Nick, these are the guys that I think are incredibly fun Guys in especially best balls or just really leagues in general, if you don't grab one of the top tight ends that you know are going to be productive, these guys are a ton of fun because there's a ton of upside. You know there's going to be creative ways to get them touches, but there's also a lot of risk. Like a lot of people were drafting Jaheim Bell last year. I don't think they were expecting him to get almost 100 touches, but only like less than 500 yards between everything. So your thoughts on this kind of player, Nick? Well, so Bell is a, a pretty unique case. Obviously, you know, basically split his snaps last year between running back and tight end, um, or running back and not running back, I guess. Um, and so, uh, you know, that certainly has some value. One of the things that 
uh, we look for, you know, I, I'm taking part in the uh, championship series, CFF champion series that uh, Greg Brandt put together at the Debbie Watch, um, where we have 12 different drafts and it's two tight end uh, and tight end premium. And so, you know, we are all digging and, and trying to find, you know, that that Jordan Myers type guy that that is going to be tight end eligible or, you know, CJ Donaldson was uh, nobody really benefited from it last year because they were all best ball. Nobody knew, you know, he was going to do what he did. Um, but guys like that who are tight end eligible that that, you know, have other uh, avenues to to become you know, just productive and, and, and score in a CFF format. And Bell is really interesting one because he was basically forced into uh, playing half his snaps at, at running back last year. You mentioned he transferred. That's a big piece of it. On the one hand, you know, Florida State probably doesn't need him uh, to take very many snaps at running back. They got mm-hmm. Trey Benson, you know, they're deep there. Jordan Travis is certainly going to run, uh, you know, plenty at the quarterback position as well. But then Mike Norvell has been pretty creative in the past, spread the ball around to a lot of running backs uh, and use, utilize some guys that are primarily uh, not running backs, you know, give them carries as well. Most of it mm-hmm. has been uh, sort of hybrid uh, wide receiver running back, you know, type players in, in the past, but it could certainly, you know, see some ner- scenarios where Bell specifically, because he's shown that he can do it, uh, and is, uh, you know, a, a heavier guy, a bigger back, hard to, to bring down in short yardage and goal line situations. Mm-hmm. I could see that he's potentially going to get some carries, uh, but he's probably not going to come anywhere close to what he had last year. I would expect uh, this move was maybe made in in making him more, uh, you know, of a, a uh, you know, for his draft futures, NFL draft future at the tight end position, mm-hmm. try to get him show what he can do more there. Um, but uh, one thing to note, you know, maybe his upside there from a CFF perspective is slightly limited as well because Florida State uh, brought in a really under the radar transfer and Kyle Morlock. Yeah, Division Two, shorter, uh, so. three even, or NA. I don't know. I was, uh, down the, the list, I would say way down there. <laughs> right and. Uh, he he's a monster you know, if you've seen any of his highlights was a man amongst boys um so it'll be interesting to see how that translates you know to the power five fps level uh and if that impacts jaheem bell's you know tight end upside at all all righty uh fortunately we have to move on and go ahead and start talking about some of these other guys next up here we're going to be talking about running backs with a wide receiver eligibility for those of you who have been doing best balls or really started started to take a look at the player pool you know exactly who i'm talking about i'm talking about mr jermaine brown jr within the cff community there is definitely a lot of debate over the upside of jermaine brown is he going to take over is he going to be Dwayne mcbride 2.0 is he limited regardless let's take a look at if a guy like jermaine brown has wide receiver eligibility how quite frankly broken that is just on his stats alone last year where brown had 948 yards and eight touchdowns along with 19 catches for 120 yards that would have put him in the top 36 wide receivers last year for cff that was with him as the rb2 Let's go crazy here. Let's give him Dwayne McBride's stats from last year. Again, he's probably not Dwayne McBride, but let's assume, let's let's just pretend that he is clearly Dwayne McBride 2.0. He would have been the wide receiver one last year, easily. 
uh, he would have been, he would have uh, it would have been him. It would have been Nathaniel Dell, and then there would have been a huge gap between them and everybody else. Um, that is absolutely nuts. Pretty much what you're when this is kind of the abstract part of the show. I'll talk about here when you're considering some of these guys with dual eligibilities and everything. There is kind of a there is pretty much a um, there's a tier here. So if you can get a quarterback who you can put who plays quarterback and you can put them in the running back t- wide receiver or tight end slot that's pretty much a cheat code same with running backs you can put them in the wide receiver or tight end spot cheat code wide receivers you put them in the tight end spot cheat code right there so you pretty much have that here with Dwayne McBride or Dwayne McBride Jermaine Brown going in as a wide receiver I think we're both in agreement Nick that this makes absolutely no sense why he still has this the only reason why he has in the first place is because he was a wide receiver coming out of high school but he hasn't played wide receiver pretty much at any point in his time at UAB regardless this is something that commissioners are going to have to consider moving forward and quite frankly is something I think people should take advantage of a little bit if they're not going to if the commissioner's not going to take care of this or if Fantrax doesn't take care of it. So your thoughts, Nick? Yeah, it can certainly be a tricky situation. I mean, I, I'm fully in the, the camp that Jermaine Brown should not be wide receiver eligible. He had 12 snaps uh, as a, you know, in a wide receiver position last year, 10 of those in the slot, you know, two out wide. And, and I don't know hundred percent for sure, but I would wager that most of those are going to be motion out of the backfield where he lined up as a, you know, running back and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, was just just motioned out there. But um, yeah, if if for whatever reason, the the league that you're in or, or the draft that you're in has Brown as a wide receiver uh, eligible and, and he is, uh, you know, going to keep that uh, throughout the year, uh, certainly uh, makes him a lot more valuable, in my opinion. If if Brown specifically is only eligible at running back. I personally am, am out. Uh, he is not a top 10 round running back for me. Uh, the offensive line, I don't like, I don't like the, the unknowns of a brand new coaching staff, new play caller, new head coach who've never, you know, coached, uh, at this level, uh, before I just have absolutely no idea to, to what to expect. We should not assume he'll be anywhere close to Dwayne McBride. However, he does have a valuable skill set, has shown obviously some receiver skills, uh, which has some value. But, you know, if he gets that same stat line as, as last year, which I think is somewhat reasonable to to expect, uh, and he's wide receiver eligible, as you mentioned, what is that top 30 wide receiver, then, yep. then that's definitely valuable. Um, and I I would understand why he's being selected you know, what round seven, round eight, uh, at this point in, in most of the drafts that I've been in at least. So, um, it's, it's a scenario where, uh, good, good to know if he's going to be able to keep that eligibility. Also good to know, you know, who you're playing with and, and drafting with. I know that the, you know, sometimes these eligibility, uh, issues can lead to some, uh, arguments and, and, you know, some hurt feelings at times, especially when one of these guys does develop into a cheat code. And, and if Brown over exceeds my expectations, um, he certainly could be in that category uh, if he's wide receiver eligible. Yeah. Jermaine Brown Jr. Currently going as the running back 32 in drafts going in the uh, kind of mid to late seventh round for the most part, going around guys like George Helani, Roman Henby, uh, a little bit after Jaden Ott ahead of guys like Jalen White, EJ Smith, uh, Stanford, that kind of deal. 
yeah, we're both pretty much in agreement that like this something has to be figured out. And maybe maybe Fantrax takes care of it for us. They didn't last year with some of the guys, but we'll see. Let's go ahead and move on to, I'd say, a pretty quick conversation. This is just something um, I saw out of Syracuse notes that I thought was interesting. But you have Aronde Gaston Jr., the four, the wide receiver slash tight end hybrid. He only had wide receiver eligibility, but as far as the coaching staff was concerned, he was kind of a tight end hybrid. They're moving him to the outside. I just personally with Aronde Gaston, I don't think this should really affect your opinion whatsoever on him for the most part. I think this is just the staff trying to get their best players out on the field as much as possible. Gaston is their best receiver. I think that, again, I, this is a short conversation for me. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Gaston's still the best player. They're going to feed him the ball pretty well. Don't worry too much about it. Nick, you have any thoughts here? Yeah, I'll I'll try to be brief. <laughs> Uh, I think that there is an argument to be made that maybe Gadsden should have tight end eligibility. I didn't expect that until I dug in the numbers, but he, he let, was an inline tight end and, you know, 80 plus snaps, which uh, a lot of the tight ends these days, because guys are, you know, line up in the slot and, and are split out, yep. um, uh, play around that same number. So maybe you make an argument if you want to make a stink, because he certainly, if he was a tight end last year, uh, led the nation in, uh yards uh, you know among tight ends and, and mm-hmm. that would certainly be uh super super valuable so uh maybe there's an argument to be made there but um sounds like they're going to move him around and, and he's definitely going to be a big piece of that that offense no i think that's actually a great point again if you're going to have some of these guys like jermaine brown jr who literally hasn't played wide receiver since he was getting his high school diploma versus a guy who quite literally as you said in the stats shows that he is lining up as a tight end but we don't have tight end eligibility for him. And this was something that people were talking about last year. Definitely an argument to be made there. Let's move on here. Let's go talk about some, unlike Jermaine Brown Jr., some running backs that are now kind of playing as wide receiver roles. The two guys that really kind of come to mind here are guys like Chris Tyree out of Notre Dame, who is officially moving to the slot wide receiver position. And then you have Raleek Brown, who was recruited as a running back but it is pretty clear by his usage and by the way the coaches talk about him that he very much is a running back wide receiver hybrid for them. Nick, I'll let you start off on this one. Your thoughts on guys like this and if there is any value to be had out of a player that plays like this. So I don't I don't think this necessarily matters much for these two players in particular, but I think it impacts you know, other players, uh, you know, on the roster for Chris Tyree specifically, I think this is a good thing, you know, if you're investing in that Notre Dame running back room, because uh, now instead of potentially three guys sharing the workload uh, and Tyree was obviously, you know, uh, number three, uh, but if it's only now a two man competition or they, you know, go to digs or is it estimate? Estimate. Uh, I, 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 my, yeah. My apologies for, for any mis pronunciation there but you know i feel better uh about you know one of those two guys really emerging uh as notre dame's workhorse running back and maybe estimate might have the inside track to that right now for relique brown who i love as a player and his skill set um you know probably not going to get a ton of production out of him Mm -hmm. but if he's somebody who is going to see significant snaps in the slot that comes into play a little bit when you're looking at that wide receiver uh wide receiver group and we're trying to find you know who's the number one who's the number two how many of those guys are going to be productive um and if brown is yet another piece of that puzzle 
um, then it, it maybe you know limits the upside of, of somebody like Brendan Rice, who I like a lot. Um, but he's just going to have to fight even more, you know, for more targets, for more uh, receptions. If if Relique Brown is uh, a bigger piece of that puzzle, because USC did utilize him as a true freshman, threw him the ball. Uh, a bit last year and I would expect because he's such a talented player and they want to find ways to get him involved um, that you know he, he's going to be a factor and, and mm-hmm. so uh, just something to consider when you're trying to sift through which or you know uh, if you're you're trying to target those USC receivers because we expect somebody to emerge as, as valuable out of that group. I agree with you 100% about this impacting other players more than it is valuable for the players themselves. I told you about the tier earlier. Here, you would have a case of like players who are running backs moving down a tier. They'd be moving to wide receivers. So you'd have a guy that you could, who's playing wide receiver that you could play the running back position. That's just not nearly as valuable. We'll get to the guys who are kind of the other way in a second here. Actually, I'll just go ahead and use that as a transition to move on to the next guys pretty much the opposite over here so last we had running backs who are kind of transitioning or hybriding with the wide receiver position here you have former wide receivers who are moving over to the running back position two guys that come to mind here are guys like tyrone tracy at purdue as well as uh joiner at south carolina i don't know how much Dakari and Joyner is really going to play a factor in this year. But Tracy is kind of interesting. As we kind of alluded to earlier, it seems like he is solidifying himself as the clear number two running back over there at Purdue. And like Nick said earlier, their path might be through the run game uh, in terms of its efficiency, considering what Graham Harrow was able to do last year. Again, going back to my tier, here you have guys that are probably going to get both wide receiver and running back eligibility due to the way that they have played in college so far, if Tyrone Tracy is a number two running back with wide receiver eligibility, I don't think he's close enough to where like he is a must draft, like, oh, he's going to be an absolute cheat code. But it's something you have to consider. Because again, a number two running back could be better than a lot of wide receivers that you could be drafting in later rounds. And it could be, and again, Devin Mockaby goes down. All of a sudden, Tyrone Tracy is the number one back for Purdue. Then you do have a cheat code as far as I'm concerned. So definitely... So again, go, going back to that tier, got to be something you consider. Nick, your thoughts on guys like this? Well, I think it it you know the main consideration is similar you know to the previous conversation how it impacts other guys and and maybe you know Devin Mockaby uh, who came out of nowhere and and was really really productive last year and understandably you know people excited that that he would be uh, a draftable asset at you know this point. Um, Tyrone Tracy. Uh, you know, hasn't been super productive, but he was somebody that got a lot of us excited last year when it looked like he was going to be a big part of the passing game there. Um, so I think it's it's possible that he takes some snaps away, some carries away, some touches away from Maccabi. Uh, And then, as you mentioned, if, you know, Maccabi goes down, uh, hopefully, of course, that doesn't happen. But Tracy um, is a, you know, was a bigger body wide receiver uh, or, you know, not tall, but a little thicker. Um, could potentially be somebody who proves himself valuable at the running back position. Uh, Joiner, it sounds like, is is more of a case of the South Carolina running back group just being really, really shorthanded right now. Uh, but I think it's important to note, as a former quarterback, as somebody who has uh, you know taken snaps as a Wildcat quarterback in the past, he might be one of those where 
you know, maybe they carve out a role for him in short yardage and goal line situations, kind of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, poaches some touchdowns from whoever uh, were to emerge as, as, you know, the every down running back. Um, but also, you know, and I know it's a different play caller at South Carolina this year, but we didn't expect Jaheim Bell, you know, to, to be an impact uh, performer at the running back position uh, last season. And, and, you know, whether the stats actually, you know, show that he was super valuable, um he at least was a factor uh there and so maybe joiner you know ends up taking some of the the carry uh workload that bell had last year our next category of guys which are wide receivers with tight end eligibility the main guy that comes to mind here is dalvin smith who if he keeps his tight end eligibility in my opinion is a super un undervalued player in college fantasy going on right now here's why you are talking again, going back to the hierarchy. You got a wide receiver playing tight end. Wide receivers are infinitely more valuable than, t- or you got a wide receiver who has tight end eligibility. That means you could put a wide receiver in your tight end spot. Let's look at some players who played for West Kentucky last year because Dalvin Smith will be one of the starting wide receivers for Western Kentucky this upcoming year. David Davis scored 141.3 fantasy points last year. That would have put him as the tight end four. Just with Dalvin Smith's stuff last year, he's not even a starter as a wide receiver. With Dalvin Smith's stats last year where he had 35 catches, 443 yards, and four touchdowns, that would have had him be the tight end 22. Now, let's say, worst case scenario, he's a starting wide receiver. He's the wide receiver three. That puts him in Jaron Hall range. That also would have put him at the tight end four. Vastly, again, this is a little bit of a cheat code right here. And again, if... if fan tracks doesn't take take care of it if your commissioner doesn't take care of it you have to be on the lookout for a guy like dalvin smith so nick your thoughts on dalvin smith and just wide receivers with tight end eligibility yeah first in my opinion dalvin smith should not have wide receiver or uh, shouldn't have tight end eligibility played 13 snaps in line last year he should not Um, but he does but if he does uh, then absolutely i mean he's probably going to be very valuable and is currently under uh, rated uh, regardless because you mentioned David Davis and Jalen Hall, you know, those guys combined for 202 targets last year. Um, so if it's quarterly and then some combination of Smith and Ma- uh, you know Michael Matheson is that wide receiver two and wide receiver three, you can expect him, you know, to, to be in line for uh, in the neighborhood of 100 targets uh, this year. And then, you know, certainly, uh, plenty of opportunities for touchdowns. He's a bigger target. Um, you know, that, that I think has some value, of course, in the red zone. Um, so it's, it's, you know, Dalvin Smith specifically is probably being underdrafted right now. Uh, and if he keeps his tight end eligibility, uh, which he probably shouldn't, but if he does, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, uh, he's in line for a huge, huge year. Um, if, if, you know, we're talking tight end number one type, uh stat line if he if he were to to reach the sort of production that hall and davis got one more point i did want to make here is the fact that again if you're in a best ball this is what we're talking about with taking advantage of some of these eligibility things is only available in redraft because a lot of best balls they do primary position only and a lot of times that puts them in the correct position so like dalvin smith in best balls is going as a wide receiver he's not a tight end as well it does mess up things for a guy like ben sano who is a tight end but they have as a running back right now. We'll see if that all gets fixed. In a very similar vein, these next, the, this category and the next two are very similar in 
what we're talking about. So I'll be sure to try to explain the differences between all of them. We had a guy who is a wide receiver full-time who is um, has tight end eligibility for some reason. Now we're going to talk about guys who were wide receivers and are now moving to tight end. Specifically, the guy that comes to mind here is Antonio Harmon, the wide receiver out of Mississippi State. Very unproductive year last year. Five catches, 61 yards, zero touchdowns. A lot of people are actually pretty excited about him because he was listed as a potential starting wide receiver for the Mississippi State air raid system, but clearly that did not pan out. But he is now moving over to tight end. Very slim tight end, unless he has put on some weight that I have not seen reports of yet. 6'3", 215 pounds. It's always interesting because you know this means that he is going to be a good pass-catching wide or pass-catching tight end option, which is something you want to look for for tight end guys that you're looking for in CFF. The problem is I don't see how this is going to be a seamless transition for him. He was a guy, if I remember correctly, was playing on the outside of this system. He is a guy, like I said, he's very slimly built. He has not been trained at the tight end position. We'll definitely see, but Nick, do you have any thoughts here? Well, I just think it's it's important to remember that uh, 2023 Mississippi State is not you know the Mississippi State that we've gotten used to the last couple of years. They sure, I should have been more clear about that. Really, really big uh, shift uh, in their offensive philosophy. Now, a defensive-minded uh, head coach, it could certainly be valuable. You know, the the tight end position sometimes in offenses that uh, uh, you know move in in this direction. Sometimes that's that's a good thing for tight ends. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a you know great example that that comes to mind immediately for this type of uh, transition. The closest might have been last year with Washington State, uh, where they went from you know the the run and shoot for uh, several years, not having any tight ends off of the roster, to just trying to find a couple of guys to line up at tight end, and and nobody you know was anywhere cl- uh, close to fantasy relevant there so a little bit different offense maybe maybe this uh, transition you know will benefit somebody uh, like Harmon uh, or Harmon again my apologies Um, because he he certainly does have a a you know talent profile that makes him an attractive option uh, if he's able to to you know become a full-time tight end um, but they're just, you know, a lot of unknowns and, and the best example that I can think of in recent history, which is not even that, you know, good of an example, uh, didn't translate to fantasy relevant, you know, tight end. So mm-hmm. something to be aware of, but not necessarily, you know, don't go out drafting Harmon, you know, as a top 20, top 30, even tight end, uh, today, just because he's a wide receiver who's now tight end eligible, potentially, uh, doesn't always, doesn't always work out. It definitely would be a lot better if Harmon was like one of the top three wide receivers. Like we knew he was one of the best wide receivers on the team and it was making this transition. But no, he was clearly a guy that was kind of buried last year for the most part. Other guys kind of jumped him on the depth chart. This seems like a move just to get him out on the field just a little bit more. Another category here, like I said, the last two were very similar to this one. But this is everybody's favorite type of tight end in CFF. And that is just straight up... Big wide receivers that are playing the tight end role. Guys that come to mind here. Bryson Nesbitt, Corey Dychess are the two that immediately came to mind for me. Jake Brinningstool at Clemson is another one I'm kind of thinking off the top of my head here. That's a good example. And then a lot of people, Deuce Robinson, just committed to USC. 
He's going to be, I think, another one of these guys that is playing a similar role if the Dodgers don't draft him in this upcoming MLB draft. Um, But again, this is the kind of thing that you want in CFF. These are the guys that are going to be included in the passing game. They're not going to be asked to block a whole ton because that is not their job, really, at the end of the day. They are designed to provide mismatches for their offenses. And honestly, like... He's a good blocker, but like I'd almost throw Brock Bowers in this category as well because he yeah. is not quite as big as a typical tight end normally is. Like, you know, Darnell Washington's just an absolute monster last year. And Bowers was the smaller but shiftier guy out there playing the exact same position out on the field. So this to me is like when you are researching your tight ends and you're researching the guys that you're going to take shots on after guys like Bowers and Keithy come off the board and you're looking at the, the round plus 10 guys, look for guys that are playing this kind of role. I think this is by far you're going to be your best hit rate in terms of guys you can rely on week in and week out for their offenses, at least as a good solid floor, because both Nesbitt and Dyches were both top 30 tight end guys last year easily. Nick, your thoughts on this kind of category of hybrid players? Yeah, I'm I'm a sucker for this type of tight end. Uh I'm I'm not you know super outwardly uh vocal uh on on you know stumping for guys a lot, but one that I have in the past and and sort of annoyingly so was uh, Cole Turner at Nevada, just because he was a big wide receiver. And, uh, you know, just knowing how they utilized him down the red zone going into the, the 2021 season, I was, you know, standing on the table. He should be tight end one, tight end one, tight end one, and and certainly got some pushback. And, and uh, you know, it, it, it worked out decently well. I think he finished his tight end three that year. Um, neither of these guys are exactly in that same situation. Bryson Nesbitt, I think, is – even more athletic, you know, I think he has the higher upside in some ways, because even though there's a, a new play caller at North Carolina, you know, you have one of the top quarterbacks in the country in Drake May, and you have uh, a lot of vacated targets and, and receptions, uh, fantasy points in, in that receiving core. And Bryson Nesbitt is athletic enough to line up all over the field. It sounds like, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the early practice reports, whether you love Chip Lindsay as a, a play caller or not, and most people don't quite honestly, um, I have to expect that, you know, he's uh, smart enough to, to realize that Bryson Nesbitt is one of the more talented players that he's got as his, at his disposal and needs to find ways to get him involved more often than not. So uh, the fact that, you know, North Carolina does have Kamari Morales at tight end, some might see that as, oh, there's no two, t- you know, two tight ends uh, malice to feed. Well, I, I see it as a little bit of a, a positive because mm-hmm. Kamari Morales, you can have him play more of the traditional tight end. You can have Bryson Nesbitt, you know, move him around a little bit as, as that chess piece become really more of a starting wide receiver. Um, even if it's, you know, technically 12 personnel, um, he's talented enough that I, I, you know, if I were calling plays and certainly I'm not, uh, but uh, he's somebody who's going to be, uh, maybe, you know, the number one, uh, target option this year. I, I think he's certainly in the conversation. I don't think that's completely, uh, outlandish to say. Um, and, you know, Deuce Robinson is a true freshman. I know that, you know, some people are going to say, why in the world would you even waste your time? He might even play, you know, might get drafted, as you mentioned, uh, isn't in for spring, won't even show up until the fall. But you know what? USC, and we talked about it with 
uh, Relique Brown, you know, we don't necessarily know how that pecking order is going to work out uh, in that receiver room. If mm-hmm. you can find the guy who's going to be super valuable, you know, you're going to really potentially hit a, a home run there. And USC was the perfect landing spot for Deuce Robinson because they are incredibly thin at the tight end position. And Malcolm, uh, Epps, McCree, Malcolm Epps just left. Exactly. And, you know, Lake McCree is, is really the only um, guy who's played any significant time. Uh, he was a very small tight end. Robinson was even listed as a wide receiver in his, you know, official welcome to USC, uh, whatever. Uh, but he's 6'6", 230, something like that. He, I believe, in my opinion, and I'm not a recruiting expert, but he's somebody that I've you know seen a little bit of and just fell in love with immediately. He has such a unique skill set that he could step on the field and you know he could learn four plays, <laughs> four routes, and he's going to be valuable because he, you know, when USC moves into uh, the red zone, the green zone, whatever you call it, and they're looking for touchdown plays they don't have a 6-6 guy nope. um on that roster you know it's not mario williams it's not todd washington it's not even Lake mccree who's you know 6-4 so even if he doesn't i mean even if he shows up on campus uh, the day before the first game i think that deuce robinson could be valuable because i think lincoln riley is smart enough to say all right this is a unique physical specimen that we don't have anywhere else in the offense here here are your three plays run down and we'll we'll throw uh you know a little jump pass to you in in the end zone and he might end up with seven eight nine touchdowns if you do that over the course of a a full season so he Mm -hmm. might not be an every down asset he's probably not going to get a ton of uh targets all season ton of receptions all season he might maybe he's just that special um, but I think at the very least, he's somebody who's going to come in and, and uh, assuming he doesn't just say, oh, I'm playing baseball. Sorry. Sorry, USC, which is a possibility. Some It's a risk. But I think, I personally think know, that's what's going to happen. You know what? That's fine. Me personally, any especially these like two tight end, tight end premium drafts I'm in, uh, best balls. I, I am not leaving. I am not leaving Deuce Robinson undrafted in any draft I'm in the rest of the year um, because the upside is double-digit touchdowns. I mean, he might he might have 20 catches and 10 touchdowns. But, you know, in, in some of these drafts where tight end plays especially a, an even bigger uh, role than it normally would, and, and that's, you know, me personally, that's a, a big piece of the – uh, the drafts I'm in right now. So maybe I'm in a different situation than most. Um, but I think that his potential upside is massive, uh, even if he doesn't play, but a couple hundred snaps a year. If he plays zero, then I missed out. Sorry. Uh, and if you did what I'm doing, if you take this as advice, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I, I just think he's going to, yeah, maybe he rolls up August 1st and they're just going to say, hey, Go go t- uh, catch us some touchdown passes. I think there's going to have some value. One point I want to I want to rewind a little bit. We're going back a couple minutes here. I'm going to, I want to talk about nice Bryson Nesbitt again here, real quick. I haven't been super high on Bryson Nesbitt. One again, I had a, I have a crazy thought here. This is a crazy thought, so don't take me too seriously, y'all. This may not make any kind of sense whatsoever, but we're all not huge fans of Chip Lindsay. Part of that is because of how much he spreads the ball around 
to different playmakers. But like Nick said, the top guys have been are moving on. Downs, Green, really Nesbitt is the number one pass catcher coming back from last year. Yes, we're not going to see Nesbitt get a thousand yards or anything like that. I don't think that's really anybody's expectation for any tight end, but that's the point. Nesbitt is a tight end. If he's spreading this around, yes, the top guys, the ceiling of the top receiving options on USC, I think are going to come down. I don't think we see a UNC wide receiver break a thousand yards this year. But that next tier of guys, the guys like Nesbitt, the guys like Pesor, Blackwell, the, the JJ Joneses and everything who were getting like four, three, four, five hundred yards last year, because everything's being spread around so much, they're getting more opportunities. And so you might see them bump up a little bit. I think we could see Nesbitt easily clear his 500 yards from last year and uh, four touchdowns and 35 catches just on that dynamic alone. So that's just kind of my crazy thought. We'll see if that goes anywhere. One last category we have to cover here are everybody's least favorite players in the history of fantasy, and that is the touchdown vultures, specifically the most annoying kind, the ones with with eligibility, position eligibility that you can't take advantage of. Some examples that come to mind here are DJ Lundy, the linebacker at Florida State, Dylan Doyle, the defensive player at Baylor, JJ, um, and guys like that. But there are a few out there that we have been able to take advantage of. Princeton Fant at Tennessee was somebody that comes to mind. He had tight end eligibility, and he would be given goal line carries all the time, especially in games where Tennessee was expected to win by a ton. They always found a way to get him a touchdown. Ole Miss might be interesting here, as kind of Nick alluded to earlier when we talked about Ole Miss. They're very, they're not afraid to be creative around the goal line. And JJ Pegues, who has, who was formerly a tight end before he came to Ole Miss, he's currently a defensive lineman. Definitely somebody who can take a handoff at the goal line. He did have one carry and one catch last season, so I don't think he's going to be somebody that we're seeing over and over again. But he is one of the more consistently talked about defensive players on Ole Miss's team. So if they want to get him some good draft capital, I imagine they find some creative ways to get him involved in the offense. Nick, your overall thoughts on these touchdown vultures. And really, again, the main takeaway here is you just got to know which teams involve this a ton. Yeah, I, you know, a lot of the things that I've talked about today, and it's it's part of my philosophy just in general, is uh, just to to be aware, to to just know uh, situations to no context. And this is one of those things knowing, you know, uh, like a lot of, uh, especially the, the C2C group, I know loves Damian Martinez. Right. And understandably. So I like him a lot too. drafted him pretty high early on this year, but Oregon state also has a history of giving, you know, quarterback slash linebacker slash fullback those goal line snaps. And, and so it's just, uh, are, are we going to see that? This year is Jack Coletto since, you know, he's out of eligibility. Um, he's no longer a factor, but is somebody else taking that role? I know they've moved, uh, you know, a former defensive player edge defender to the tight end position. Is he somebody that we have to worry about getting uh, goal line carries? Uh, you know, not sure, but but it's possible. Baylor has done this. You mentioned Dylan Doyle, uh, who has also moved on. But, you know, does that limit somebody like Richard Reese, who's already, uh, you know, not as high on draft boards as a lot of us might expect. Um, 
it, it's just something to be aware of. If you get uh, fourth and one, uh, you know, middle of the field, but you also get those, you know, down by the goal line, guys who are going to get uh, those type of carries, Pegues, you know, has yep. had uh, touchdown passes or receptions in the past. Um, so it's it's just being aware of what are some of the teams that utilize defensive players in goal line packages or, or, yep. you know, uh, how Harold Fannin is a tight end who ran uh, four touchdowns last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he particularly could be pretty valuable. Uh, whoever is going to take over for Princeton fan, if that's a role in the offense at Tennessee next year could be valuable. Is it one of the transfer tight ends uh, that they've had, you know, coming in? Does Jacob Warren, you know, just sort of step into that role? Not sure. Does it benefit the running backs who, you know, maybe they get a little bit more goal line use, even though Jalen Wright and Jabari Small both had double digit touchdowns next year or last year, excuse me. Maybe those guys, you know, get a point or two extra value uh, because they don't have to worry about uh, a Princeton fan taking away uh, even more touchdowns. Or you've got a 6'6, 250 pound quarterback in Joe Milton, who I've been drafting you know, particularly high and, and, and very high on him for CFF this year. Uh, is he somebody that's, you know, going to, going to see uh, a lot of goal line usage, you know, Hinden Hooker had five rushing touchdowns last year. Kristen Fant had five rushing touchdowns last year. Uh, maybe Joe Milton, you know, uh, is a candidate for double digit Could rushing be. touchdowns next year. It's, it's, it's possible. So um, not a whole lot of like, you know, slam dunk draft this guy because no. he plays this position, except maybe Fannin. If, yeah. If, Fannin if, might be know. interesting. Um, but it's just, I think there is some value in being aware of these situations and how that could impact guys that you're drafting and whether or not maybe it's a tiebreaker for two players that you, you know, view similarly and mm-hmm. one may not have to worry about, uh, you know, somebody, uh, poaching a touchdown down, you know, uh, by the goal line. No, I think that's a very good point. Again, you brought up Damian Martinez. Like, let's look at where Damian Martinez is going. He's the RB10. Who would you rather have if you're kind of considering that? Would you rather have Trey Benson? Who, but yeah, he, might, he might have to worry about, like, you know. Jaheim Bell. Jaheim Bell, Johnny Wilson being six foot <laughs> seven. Travis. Yeah. Um, but, like, say Bangura. Who does Saban Gira have to worry about? Curtis Work? That's kind of a normal dynamic that you would expect in some teams. Mm-hmm. You have to worry about the quarterback. Um, Kavorian Barnes, I mean, Frank Harris, obviously there, but like, um, Carson, well, LaDamian Webb, who, who's vulturing from LaDamian Webb? That's sure. like, that's something you got to consider there. Uh, Frank Gore Jr., who's vulturing from Frank Gore Jr. right now? Again, maybe you got Rodriguez Clark, but Frank Gore, I think, is a bigger back. So, like, why would you put Clark out there? Marquez Cooper, who's vul- who's vulturing from him at Ball State? You're, it's a good point, Nick. Like, it is something that you can use to kind of break the tie between a lot of guys, especially at the quarterback position as well. Again, the most unfortunate thing about a lot of these touchdown vultures, like you kind of touched on briefly, is that there's not a lot of eligibility exploitation that you can kind of have with these guys. A lot of times, like Jack Coletta, he was a quarterback-only eligible dude. If he had if he had a running back, if he had wide receiver eligibility, you might, might have been able to take advantage of that, especially if he had tight end eligibility as well. Might have been able to take advantage of that. Mike Wright this year, expected to be a goal line package guy for, um, for Mississippi State. You can't really take advantage of that because why would you play a quarterback like Mike Wright and hope he gets some packages in a game versus playing, I don't know, an actual quarterback? So that's kind of the unfortunate part of it all. 
but lots of things to discuss and a lot of different things that you have to consider when you're planning for your CFF seasons. And that pretty much brings us to the end of our show. Nick, you have been absolutely awesome. What a great start to CFF or to uh, CTN to guest month over here. You have been absolutely, like I said, you've been absolutely incredible. I pretty much have gushed about a lot of your content already. Uh, I know you also have a podcast, so why don't you tell uh, the people what is what it is you guys discuss over on that podcast? Yeah, the CFP Winning Edge podcast, we uh, have been talking a lot about returning production. We talk about football uh, sort of as a whole, both offense and defense, and, and um, you know, try to provide a lot of context as, you know, a lot of the points I brought up uh, today, coaching changes, how that can impact teams um it's more on the you know team level we do team projections uh some information that you know folks might uh find useful for you know betting purposes we had a, a really really strong uh last couple of years in our over under win total projections uh also had a good year uh for you know single game um line uh, projections last season but um we we definitely do you know talk about college football as a whole there uh but the biggest impact i think you know the, the maybe the most valuable thing that that we offer are the uh google sheets that you mentioned try to keep track of personnel um as well as you know we possibly can returning production who's going in who's going out you mentioned the uh you know eligibility uh kind of you know try to keep track of that uh, for dynasty purposes, just, you know, for, for our own purposes. Um, we, we try to try to track as much of, uh, the personnel equation as possible, um, at, uh, CFB winning edge, patreon.com slash CFB winning edge. Uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing and, and reach out to me, uh, if you have any questions, you know, at any time, and, and I'm sure, you know, the conversation we had, we touched on a lot of people and I, I certainly, uh, am not always brief. Uh, so uh, I know we ran long today, but I'm sure we missed some folks as well. Uh, yeah. some potential impact hybrid players. So, uh, reach out if, if anybody's got any questions about players like that, or, or want to point out somebody that we should have mentioned. I'm always happy to, you know, to, to chat with folks who are, who are listening and, 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 you know, especially the people that, uh, support us. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great way to segue into a reminder. Again, if you want to follow myself on Twitter, I'm at CFF underscore Jared. You can ask me questions just like with Nick. His Twitter is at CFB Winning Edge, just like the name of his stuff. Uh, I You can also follow the podcast at Chasing the Natty. A lot of our announcements and stuff like that for upcoming stuff will be made over there. So make sure you are following that for all of the content over there. Again, keep it with us here at campusdecanton.com. Lots and lots of great stuff coming your way. We got this, we, again, guest month all throughout the rest of this month. We're going to have different people coming on and helping us get through these spring games. In addition to that, we got the CFF Ranking Summit. That'll be coming to you from the Campus of Canton uh, YouTube channel. We'll be live streaming that. It'll be myself, Nate, Chris, Kay, and Justice. We'll be going on there discussing our rankings for cff and we're also going to be putting each other on trial for some of our outrageous rankings so that was a ton of fun last year it's gonna be a ton of fun again this year lots and lots of other great stuff so like i said keep it with us over here at campusdecanton.com and chasing the natty really appreciate you guys all listening and you guys will have a wonderful and blessed day see y'all